Well, good morning. Welcome to Element Church. My name is Adam Young. I'm the lead pastor here. And welcome to week two of our series, Legacy, as we take a walk through the letter of 2 Timothy. Now, this time of year, it's pretty common um, for us to talk about last words. You know, leading up to Easter, uh, it's not uncommon for churches to talk about Jesus's last words um, from the cross. He makes seven statements from the cross, and oftentimes in preparation for Easter, we'll talk about those last words. After the crucifixion and the resurrection, Jesus spends about a month with his disciples, just teaching and encouraging them before he leaves earth. And sometimes even in this season after Easter, for a month or so, we'll spend our time talking about Jesus's last words in that last month of his time on earth. You know, 2 Timothy is actually Paul's last words. 2 Timothy is the last letter Paul will ever write um, before he is executed in Rome by Caesar Nero. And he, Paul had been arrested for his missionary efforts, for planting churches, for um, sharing the gospel, for leading communities to be transformed into not just economic centers, but uh, centers of uh, spiritual vitality. And he was arrested for it, uh, was imprisoned in Rome, and would soon be executed by Caesar Nero. And these are his final words to a young Timothy, this young pastor, pastoring the church in the ancient city of Ephesus. Paul actually started that church himself. He pastored it for a couple years, and then he left and moved on to plant other churches and do other ministries. And while he was gone, he left Timothy in charge to pastor and to lead the church. And these are Paul's last words of encouragement and challenge to Timothy. Now, we started this series last week, and uh, we just covered the first five verses. Now, I'm not going to read them exactly um, as they look in the Bible, uh, as we read and taught last week, but in case you weren't here last week, let me just give you sort of a rephrasing of those five, five verses. As if those, that letter were written today, it might sound something like this. I, Paul, I'm on special assignment for Christ, carrying out God's plan laid out in the message of life by Jesus. I write this to you, Timothy, the son I love so much. All the best from our God and Christ be yours. Every time I say your name in prayer, which is practically all the time, I thank God for you, the God I worship with my whole life and the tradition of my ancestors. I miss you a lot, especially when I remember that last tearful goodbye and I look forward to a joy-packed reunion. That precious memory triggers another, your honest faith, and what a rich faith it is, handed down from your grandmother Lois and to your mother Eunice and now to you. And so we talked about that last week. We talked about the heritage of faith that we see in Timothy and, and the call for you and I to make a difference in others' lives by creating our own heritage of faith, whether that be with our children or even with people we're not related to. Just as Paul calls Timothy his own son, even though biologically he wasn't. But in many ways, Timothy was Paul's son in the faith because he had spent so much time leading him and caring for him and discipling him. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna continue on with our study and we're gonna pick it up in verse six of Timothy, uh, of. 2 Timothy chapter 
1. And so you can follow along with us here. And here's what Paul's going to say. So now he's done with the introduction. He's really going to get into the heart of his letter. He says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that you are in Christ Jesus." By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposited, the, the guard the good deposit entrusted to you. And so as we look at Paul's letters, he starts diving in. Here's what we have to acknowledge up front. That Timothy is uh, fearful and timid and dealing with self-doubt. Now listen, these letters... Uh, are written by real people, to real people, out of and for real life circumstances. Okay, Paul is not writing this letter in the first century to just like send it out in a message in a bottle, hoping one day somebody finds it and it is practical and it gives them some good advice. Paul is writing to someone he knows dearly who's dealing with real life challenges. In many ways, we are reading someone else's mail. Like quite literally, we are reading Paul's letter to Timothy. So how do we know that Timothy is dealing with fear and timidity and self-doubt? Well, we know because we look at what Paul says over and over and over. And we have two letters from Paul to Timothy and in both of those letters, we see Paul continue to give Timothy encouragement and challenge to be bold, to be strong, to be courageous, to be confident. You only say that to someone who's dealing with a struggle to not have those characteristics. You don't tell a lazy person, hey, make sure to get some rest, right? You tell a lazy person, hey, get off the couch and do something. And so that Paul keeps talking to Timothy about being uh, strong, being confident, being courageous, tells us that Timothy's struggling with doing these things. The other reason we know that Timothy is struggling with them is we look at the instructions and the advice that Paul gives to him. Paul is writing these letters to give Timothy advice about how he should lead and pastor the church. And so as Paul is giving him advice on how to deal with very particular circumstances and people, we can see that through those 
the, that information on those situations, that, that, that they are the kind of situations that would certainly create the feelings and thoughts and emotions of fear and timidity and self-doubt. So if we know that Timothy is dealing with those things, the next question is why? Why would Timothy be dealing with fear and timidity and self-doubt? Well, for a couple things. Number one, Timothy is young. And we actually learn that in the first letter Paul writes to Timothy. We're actually gonna look at those verses in just a few moments. Um, But Paul actually has to encourage Timothy to not allow his youth to be a hindrance in his leadership in leading the church and setting an example for them. Another reason that Timothy is feeling this way is because his leadership and his legitimacy and his loyalties are being questioned. So what we see is that when Paul is arrested, some people come in behind him after he's in prison and start claiming that because Paul has been arrested, he can no longer be trusted or seen as a legitimate leader. And anyone who follows Paul, and since Timothy was his protege, anyone who follows Paul must also be questioned and rejected. You see, in the first century, they operate in what's called an honor and shame culture. Now that's a little foreign to most of us who've spent most or all of our lives in the United States or in the West because we live in a Western individualistic culture that's all about me and what's best for me and my own freedom and my own autonomy. Now, if you have spent time in the Eastern part of our world, even in the 21st century, then you have experience in an honor and shame culture. Many communities in the Middle East and in Asia are honor-shamed-based cultures. They make their decisions not on what they want or what's best for them or to live out of their own individual freedom. They make decisions about what would bring the most honor to my family, what would bring the most honor to my culture and my community. This setting in the Roman Empire in the first century is not a 21st century Western individualistic culture. It is an honor-shame culture. So if anything that happens to you could be viewed as bringing shame on you or your community, it could be seen as detrimental. And so when Paul was arrested, there were others who tried to utilize that situation and that information to discredit Paul and anyone who is associated with him, which would have included Timothy. Another reason that Timothy was dealing with fear and timidity and self-doubt is because there were older men in the church who were trying to take over the church and teach their own perverted version of the gospel. And then we also know that Timothy's teaching, his authority, his calling, and even his own gifting were being challenged and he was feeling defeated and discouraged. So here's the scene. You have this young new pastor who's dealing with some really difficult circumstances in his community and in his church. People are trying to delegitimize his authority. They're calling into question his gifting and his leadership. And he's tired. He's 
beginning to be filled with self-doubt. He's afraid that he doesn't have what it takes. So what is Paul going to do? Paul's going to write this letter to help encourage Timothy. To give him some practical advice about what to do and how to handle himself, how to handle these situations, and about what God wants him to do. Now, we recognize we're reading someone else's mail. Paul is not writing this to you. He's not writing this to me. He's writing it to Timothy. But he's also writing it not to us, but for us. Even this personal letter was designed to be read out loud to the church. And we know that because Paul doesn't only talk straight to Timothy in the letter. And so wherever you are today, if you're dealing with feelings of doubt or discouragement, if you're dealing with, with thoughts of, and emotions of fear and timidity, for whatever reason, maybe it's because you're young. You're the youngest one in your industry in your office and people don't see you as a legitimate leader. Maybe it's because someone's questioning your loyalties or your background. Maybe it's because others are trying to usurp your authority and take over and take charge. Whatever the reasons or whatever emotions you're feeling today, if, if that applies to you, if you're just struggling with the future and how you're going to move forward, accomplish the things that God has placed in your heart and to, to step into the passions that he's given you, then what Paul has to say to Timothy will be very applicable to you today. And here's where Paul starts. By encouraging Timothy to fan the flame. So we already read verses 6 through 14. Let's look at verse 6 again. Paul told Timothy, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now, here's what's interesting. Paul references a specific moment in the life of Timothy that Paul was involved in. He says, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now, um, we know that in the New Testament, we see this common practice of laying your hands on someone when you want to pray for them. And you could do it because you wanted to bless them. Um, oftentimes, this is what we do during um, when, when someone's being ordained, which means they're being confirmed to a special gospel task or ministry. It's a way that we can show our encouragement. And it's a way we can show our acknowledgement that we see the work of God in someone's life. But actually, even though Paul tells us, you know, hey, you remember when I laid my hands on you, it wasn't only Paul. And we get a better picture of this moment and what this gift of God might be if we go to Paul's first letter to Timothy. And this is also where he gives Timothy encouragement to not let his youth be a discouragement or a distraction in his leadership. So 1 Timothy 4, 12 through 15 Paul tells Timothy, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the, the believers an example in speech and in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, and so between Paul's first and second letter, whether he ever made it, we don't know, but his plan was to make it to Timothy. 
to come visit him. We don't know if he ever made it between these two letters. He says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. Exhortation is sort of a, uh, a term that we would use to describe like a passionate, fiery um, speech to try to convince somebody of something. Then he says, look, he's going to reference that gift. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. So referring back to the same moment. So Paul, along with the other elders, leaders of the church, when they laid their hands on Timothy to pray for him, to confirm something that they saw in Timothy. And he says, practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. And so by reading this, what is most likely is that Paul and the other leaders of the church saw a gift in Timothy. This gift of teaching, of preaching, of reading scripture and then in a passionate way explaining it and calling people to action. They saw this gift in Timothy. And so before Paul left, they laid their hands on Timothy to pray for him and to give their sign of confirmation that God was doing something special in him. And they wanted to see Timothy continue on that ministry. And so Paul tells him, Remember that gift? Fan the flame. Um, I'm gonna do a little confession here. Uh, do you guys? Do you guys ever? I'm I'm about to tell you a story. I'm gonna ask you a question, make myself feel so I can feel better about myself. Do you guys ever get um, overly angry over a stupid thing? Has ever happened to you? Okay, so no one chuckled, which means I'm alone here. Thanks for that. Um, so here's, here's what happened. So last Sunday um, after church, um, you know, my wife and I, we, we kind of meal plan a week or two in advance. And so I knew what was coming and uh, I was smoking um, an elk brisket and ribs uh, last Sunday. And so got home from church, got everything together and ready. And um, actually my oldest son and I, we watched some basketball and then I was going to get the smoker ready. So um, I'm getting all of the... Um, lump charcoal ready in my smoker and you put these little um, little kind of uh, fire starters, these uh, little ignition things underneath it so you can kind of get the coals burning hot. And so I get my lighter and I go to light this little fire starter thing and my lighter won't work. Like there's like, and then, you know, you look through the little window and you're like, oh no, there's like no butane in there. Okay, great. So then what do I have to do? Now I'm searching for another lighter. Finally find another one. There's one in our kitchen. So I'm like, okay, great. So then I go out and I'm like trying to light it. And I'm like, seriously, come on, like what? And I'm already frustrated a little bit because I thought I had a lot of lump charcoal. And when I dumped the bag into my little chimney that I start the fire with, it was like 90% dust. It was like, very, like I had lifted the bag and I knew that there was stuff in it. And I didn't look to see that the, it was actually like chunks of wood. It was like mostly like, Charcoal sawdust, which is worthless. But um, so I'm already like trying to like readjust how I'm gonna get the temperature hot enough. And, and I'm like, this thing won't light. And then I look and I'm like, this one's out of butane also. Awesome. So now what I'm gonna do, like, it's not like I carry flint and a rock around. Like, what am I supposed to do now? And then I remembered that I had this bag of matches 
in this drawer in my garage. I'm 90% sure they came from John when he moved from, my house, from his house like six or seven years ago. He gave me a bunch of junk uh, out of his garage. He gave me some fertilizer. He gave me a propane tank, which was awesome. And then he moved back and wanted his propane tank back. But, um, and I'm pretty sure he gave me a Ziploc of matches because I'm pretty sure that's where they came from. But I, I don't use matches. So I was like, oh, I've got these matches. But the wind in Colorado for like the last eight weeks has been a nightmare. Try lighting something with a match. And so I went through two boxes of matches and still couldn't get the thing lit. I was like fuming, not literally, I had, didn't have a fire, but inside I was fuming. So then I was like, forget it. So I grabbed my propane torch and I just torched the thing for like five minutes until everything was like red hot and I still didn't have enough wood and it was a nightmare, but it was so dumb. It was like so stupid first world problems. Like, oh, I don't have a lighter that works, but you know, I just got so frustrated. But you know, in that moment, like when I was trying to light those matches with all the wind that we've been dealing with and like, there was like no amount of like sheltering these coals that I was trying to get going that would compensate for the wind. Um, it's, it's such a good picture of how delicate a small flame, just a little spark or a new ember can be. They're so delicate and precious that if, if there's not good care given to them, then you risk that little coal dying, that little flame going out. And so in the midst of what Timothy is dealing with, Paul wants to tell him, hey, fan the flame. Don't, don't let that gift God put in you die out. Don't allow someone else to put the flame out in your life. You know this gift that God has put inside of you. Fan the flame. For Timothy, this was this ministry of preaching and teaching. We see the same idea in the prophet Jeremiah who talks about God's word being like a fire inside of him that he, that he can't contain. And even if he tried to contain it, it would just burn him up from the inside out. Paul's telling Timothy, fan the flame. Don't let someone else destroy that gift that God has put inside of you. Fan the flame. And then he, he tells Timothy, back in his first letter, here at the end of verse 15, practice these things, immerse yourself in them. Tells him, use your gift. Don't just sit on the sidelines. So Paul told Timothy, fan the flame. And here's the next thing he tells him. We're gonna go down to the bottom at verse 14. He says, guard the good. Looking at verse 14 again. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Now, why would Paul need to say this? I mean, he doesn't say specifically, but if you know human beings well enough, you can make a pretty good educated guess. Because as humans, our natural tendency is to focus on the negative. So um, relational psychologists 
and clinical psychologists, um, they have this thing that they call the magic ratio, or sometimes it's referred to as the relationship ratio. And it's a ratio of what a healthy, long-lasting relationship will look like uh, in a ratio of positive to negative interactions um, between two people in a relationship. And here's what clinical psychologists and relationship psychologists have acknowledged, that the magic ratio, uh, the minimal ratio for a lasting healthy relationship is five to one. Five positive interactions to every one negative interaction. Because here's what they have found. Four positive interactions are not enough to compensate for one negative. That could be with words, that could be with attitude, that could be with looks. Anytime a relationship falls below the five to one ratio, clinically, psychologists say your relationship is on a downward trajectory. It is moving to a more and more unhealthy place. Because four positive interactions, while good, we as humans tend to focus on the one negative. You could say four good things about or to your spouse, but one negative thing is what they'll remember. We have this natural tendency to focus on the negative to focus on the problems, to focus on the obstacles, to focus on the opposition. Paul wants to remind Timothy, guard the good. Don't allow the negative and the obstacles and the challenge to overwhelm you. Now, this is not a talk about relationships. I only use that as an illustration. But maybe if you were to analyze your own personal relationships, Maybe even just thinking about that magic ratio would be illuminating for you. Maybe it would help you to understand why your relationships or one in particular is unhealthy or it's moving in the wrong direction or is or has fallen apart. Because not only do we focus on the negative, but we don't make an intentional effort at provi providing enough positives for our children or our spouse or our coworkers. So Paul tells Timothy, fan the flame, guard the good. Now practically, how do you do that? What are you supposed to do to fan this flame, this gift of something that God's put in your heart? What are you, how are you supposed to guard the good and not allow the negative to overwhelm you? Well, we're going to go back to these same verses. We, we kind of looked at the front and the back end. Now we're going to look at the middle again. And we're going to look at three things that Paul gives some practical advice on how we can fan this flame and guard the good. And here's the first one. Embrace the difficulties. Paul tells Timothy to share in the suffering. If you are pursuing something in life that actually matters, it's going to make a difference. There will be obstacles. 
I love this quote from Teddy Roosevelt. Um, He said, nothing in the world is worth having or worth doing unless it means effort, pain, difficulty. I have never in my life envied a human being who led an easy life. I have envied a great many people who have led difficult lives and led them well. If you're going to do something with your life that matters, that actually makes a difference, there will be opposition. And so Paul reminds Timothy, we didn't sign up for this gig because it was easy. We signed up for this because this is what God called us to. And because we want to see our lives make an eternal impact for the kingdom of God. So just be prepared, Timothy, to share in the suffering. No one promised this would be easy. And sometimes we need that reminder. Sometimes we start feeling sorry for ourselves and we need to be reminded that the difficulties show us that we're doing something that matters. Here's the second thing that Paul's going to remind Timothy of. And he's going to set as a priority the gospel. And he wants Timothy to hold fast to the gospel. Look at what he says here concerning this gospel. Because of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. The gospel, our calling comes from the gospel. Our purpose comes from the gospel. Our life comes from the gospel. And all this is made available to us, not by our own doing, our hard work, our achievements or our gifting, but by the grace of God. Our identity and our value, they come from the one who created us, not what we create with our own hands. The gospel demands that we work hard and we work hard for things in this life that will outlast this life. But that is because of what God has already done for us, not because of our need to accomplish something on our own. The gospel creates our identity. It is the one, what motivates us to work hard and to work hard for something that matters. But at the end of the day, we recognize that it's because of what God has done not what we feel pressure that we must do. And here's the third encouragement. To keep your your eyes on Christ. He says, for I know whom I have believed. He did not say, for I know what I believe. What keeps us steady and focused is not a list of theological points to agree on. It is not a set of doctrines. What keeps us steady in the face of trials and difficulties, opposition and obstacles, is when we keep our eyes on a whom. 
on Jesus. A what would be religion. A whom is about a relationship with our Savior and Creator. And so what Paul does next over the next couple of verses is he gives a couple bad examples and one good example of some individuals who have lived this life well or who have not lived this life well. He actually names people directly. He gives three names uh, and individuals and circumstances which, which Timothy would have known well. And so Timothy was struggling. And Paul wanted to tell him, fan the flame and guard the good. We turn our eyes to Jesus, not to the opposition. And we do everything in our power to fan the flame of that gift that God put inside of us. Now we get evidence of what that gift was for Timothy. I don't know what that gift is for you. Maybe it's a passion for something or someone. It's a passion to see God move in an individual or in a community. Maybe it's a skill set like Timothy that something unique that God has placed in you to accomplish his purpose. I don't know what the gift is. And maybe you don't either. And so maybe the next task for you before you begin fanning the flame of that gift is to discover what that gift is. For Timothy, that gift was given inside of him and it was acknowledged by others. You'll find that people in your life who surround you will provide great insight into what that gift may be. Which is why it's so important to engage with other people in community. Because of, they'll see something in you that you might not even see yourself. And at the end of the day, we remember that all of it is built not upon our gift, not upon our skill set, and not upon our achievements and results. It is built on the gospel. The grace of God through Jesus Christ who came to abolish death and give us life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you that we just get to be here in this moment. We go, just get to contemplate the gift that you are placing in each of us what that means and what it looks like. And at the end of the day, God, we, we're, all, we're all weak. We all fall short. We're all inadequate. And there is so much reason for all of us to be like Timothy, to struggle with fear and timidity and self-doubt. But you didn't give us a spirit of fear. You gave us one of power and of love and of self-control. So Lord, would you, 
Help us to fan the flame of the gift that you've placed in us. To live our lives on purpose for something, for something that will outlast this life. And we thank you that in all of this, that you are here with us. That you have not abandoned us that you're here to guide us. I'm gonna ask you to keep your eyes closed for a moment. Uh, we're gonna enter into a time of response and we're gonna start by singing a song titled With Us. And just an acknowledgement that God is with us, that there is no end to his love, that this life we live is, is built on him and what he has done not on what we do. And so as we all work to guard the good, we're gonna turn our eyes to Jesus, not to whatever challenges or obstacles we face in life, not to the opposition, we're gonna turn our eyes to Jesus. That's really what we're doing when we sing, is we block out everything else and we turn our attention and our eyes to him. And so the invitation is for you to join with us as we worship and turn our hearts and our attention there. At the back of the room is our communion table. And if you wanna make that a part of your worship expression this morning, to take the bread and the cup, to acknowledge what Jesus did, the heart and the center of the gospel, that he gave his life for us, that he took on death and defeated it so that he could give us life. If you want to make that a part of your worship expression this morning, then the table is available in the back. Lord, thank you. Would you continue to move and to speak in our hearts and in our lives?